Welcome to Ambitious Motherhood, the podcast for the mom who is chasing after her dreams in motherhood and business. This is your permission slip to pursue all that you were created to be and live out your calling both in and out of your home. Here's your host, Katie Fleming. Hey, Ambitious Mamas. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to introduce you to Stacey Tushel. So if you've been in pursuit of building a business alongside of raising your family and being the present mom and living your ideal mom life, then this episode is for you. Today's episode, we are talking with Stacey Tushel. Stacey is a small business growth coach, best-selling author, and the creator of Foot Traffic Podcast and Community, where she helps small business owners grow their local business. Stacy started her first business at the age of 18 in her parents' backyard and turned that company into a seven-figure business that she still runs today. She is a mom of two little girls and married to her husband, Kent. So, mamas, I am so excited to bring this episode to you because we are kind of just bringing together a ton of lessons from a multiple seven-figure business owner, Stacy Tushel. And we're going to be talking through hiring and building systems for success. We're going to be talking through navigating multiple passions and how to make sure you're not actually using that as an excuse to chase a bunch of shiny objects. Oh yeah, we're going to go there. Okay. And we're also going to dive into how she has navigated building her business and transitioning it into her mom life, her motherhood journey. She's going to share a lot of things about how she has intentionally taken the things that are most important to her and made business decisions that reflect that. So if you're listening today and you're ready for that motherhood and entrepreneurship success, I want you to stay tuned for today's episode. You are listening to episode number 85 of Ambitious Motherhood with Katie Fleming. Let's go. Hey, Stacy, welcome to the podcast. How Thanks are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to chat with you. And I know that our audiences are both going to get a ton of value out of today. And I would really love for you to take me back to the beginning of your business journey. And listeners, what's really cool about this is Stacy got started in her business life before kids. So we're going to hear a different side of the story today about how she transitioned life and business into motherhood. Yeah. So right out of high school, I was looking to go to a local university and really not sure what I was going to do. I actually started going to be a teacher and then halfway through I switched to be a business. And I will tell you that I really enjoyed dancing in high school. And I thought, well, how can I do this as a hobby? Continue to do that for fun while going to school. So I decided to start this middle school dance team. I put out some flyers in my local community. And that summer I had 17 dancers come and dance in my parents' backyard did not charge for my time, just charge for them to go to competitions and things like that. And while I was doing that, three years in, I had 100 kids still getting dropped off in my parents' backyard. And I realized, okay, maybe I have a business here. This could be, I was getting a business degree to work for somebody else, but I thought, okay, maybe this could be my thing. Now, one thing that I have, I'm so fortunate that this was my situation, was I grew up in a family business. So my grandfather started a company almost 50 years ago that is still being run today by my uncle and my dad and my mom. And because I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, it was very easy for them to see this as a business opportunity. And I know that in today's world, if you grew up in a family that had traditional jobs, nine to five, you might hear different stories than what I've heard, right? Not a lot of people suggest entrepreneurship, but I come from that world. So today I have two performing arts academies in Milwaukee. 
We have about a thousand dancers and music students that come to us every week. We have 40 employees, dozens of contractors, and we've been grossing over a million dollars a year for many, many years. And it's just crazy how that has transpired. So that's my main business. I always say it's like my, my grown up business. And I have a baby business that I started about four years ago. And that just kind of naturally happened because other entrepreneurs were saying, how are you growing this business? How did you take this backyard thing into a real company? And I just naturally started coaching other business owners what I was doing. And that's kind of how this all led into the podcast and online coaching. I have a mastermind and it just, it has really transitioned, but it's always been, what are people asking me for? You know, what's, what's the conversation? Yeah. Okay. So going back to your, your main business, the Academy, what Mm -hmm. are your strengths as a leader, as a business owner? What are those strengths that you have there that you pull into your online world? Yeah. I think one of the biggest strengths that I have is I could see the bigger picture and I knew that the bigger picture was building a team. So when I say to people, I have 40 employees, some people think, oh, that sounds like a headache. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of managing and this and that. And I will tell you, the bigger we get, the easier it gets. And I realized that I had to get good at delegating. I am the person that you would, you're thinking, but I'm a control freak. I could never give up that control. I guarantee you, you are no bigger of a control freak than I was and probably still am, but I've had to learn how to let go, how to allow other people to join me on this journey and it not just be my vision, right? Which can still be hard because obviously we have the personality to to go after our dreams and maybe some of our other employees and team members aren't at that same like they just don't want it like that. They'd rather, there are people that want to follow versus lead. So yes, I want to be a leader, but I also want to see who else wants to be a leader and who wants to come up in this leadership team with us. Yeah. And you said that the bigger the business gets, the easier it will be. Do you think that would be true if you weren't good in the beginning at bringing that team on and delegating? 100%. Yeah. I think the bigger the business gets financially, the harder it will be. So if you're thinking, oh, well, it'll get easier when I start making this much money. I think that's completely false. It gets more complicated the more money you bring in, the scarier it gets, the bigger risks that happen. So I don't think financially, the bigger you get, the easier it gets. But when I think you're building a strong team, the easier it will get for you. So for me, I just think because it's not just on my shoulders, there's so many people owning their departments, owning what they're good at, that I have so much confidence that we're doing a great job in many different areas. If I was the control freak doing everything, I would not be confident in all these areas for sure. Oh yeah. And give us a glimpse. How many hours are you actually working in that business? So in the business, in the building, I'll say, I only go in two hours a month for a leadership meeting. I do not work in the building. I do not, I don't work in the business at all. I only work on the business. So even if you're thinking, wow, I didn't work on it at all this week, that's impossible because my mind just doesn't shut off. I'm constantly going, oh, I wonder if we could do this. Oh, I'm wondering, you know, if we could do that. Now, today is Monday and I do have a call with my general manager for about 15 to 30 minutes every week. Today was really short. It was less than 15 minutes. And what I'm doing is, so I'm working on, I would even think that I wouldn't call it in the business. I did it for my home office and it's all about the direction of the business, where it's going. It's very big and visionary. And the only things we're discussing are things that have never come up before because we are a very systematized organization. So she wouldn't be asking something she asked me six weeks ago because that's now documented. She's asking things that have never happened ever or something new that has popped up as an opportunity, which is why it only takes about 15 minutes because there's just not that much that we haven't seen in the last 17 years. 
Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, so you guys have a system in house where something happens, they ask you, you give them the answer and there's some process in place, I would assume to document that. Yeah. So here's one of the things too, is we have a certain policy even set up where you can basically just make, we call it a happiness policy. So everybody in our organization has a certain level of authority that they're able to present in that situation. So our front desk would even know if we have a very unhappy employee, they're able to give, let's say, a credit, tuition credit, let's say, up to $100. They can do that without even asking their manager. They know that if somebody's like irate, they're going to take care of it. And as the, you kind of climb the ladder, now all of a sudden people get even more authority to say, no, I can actually write you out a check and reimburse you, right? So we have systems in place of like, what does this look like? And, and it kind of comes back to when we have to keep hearing things over and over again, it's like, why do we have to have somebody wait a whole day when they're already upset? How do we fast track their happiness, right? So for me, nobody is contacting me. This general manager and I talk every Monday. She's not going to email me on Thursday to ask me a question. She's gonna, going to wait till Monday. So that means if there's something that's a sense of urgency, she's probably going to handle it on her own before I speak to her on Monday. Unless it's so urgent, she's like, I have to talk to her, okay? This person is my sister, so we actually do see each other quite a bit. I always say, like, we do not do business. Like, we're not hanging out at the pool talking business. I'm always like, this is my time off. Like, right, we're, we're doing it this way. So I try to separate it as much as I can. But this is one of the biggest things that happened to me was I would, you know, my sister works in the business. I mean, she's, she's working there quite a bit. And she would do something and then I would hear about it and I would be unhappy and I would say something to her. And she would say to me, if you really truly want me to run the business, you need to let me run the business because now you're micromanaging me. So I had to realize that if it's not a system, like it hasn't been done already and it's urgent, she gets to decide what's going to happen in that moment. However, we're going to talk about it at our Monday meeting. And if I don't really, I think it could be done a different way. We'll put it in the system for next time. But she gets a free pass if she kind of like, quote unquote, messed up because really she's just going with her gut of what she thinks the best way to handle the situation will be. So that was hard for me to go, okay, I don't like the way you did it, but I guess it's okay, right? Now we have to really know that, no, if I don't want to be interrupted on a Thursday night, 6 p.m. during dinner, I'm going to have to be okay with somebody else making a decision while I'm not there. And that is something I've sacrificed. And trust me, it's so much better to not be interrupted with every single complaint that comes through. Yeah. And I, I feel like, tell me if I'm right, like a lot of how you want to live your life and how you value your time. That's what dictates how you show up in the business and the ways in which you do that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I heard that and I immediately thought, okay, open communication. You value that. Your employees value that. You're empowering them by giving them that ability to, to have that happiness policy in place. And, and just being able to separate this whole relationship with your sister, that's probably the only way the business is successful and your relationship yeah, is successful. Right, and we can continue to be close. My sister and I yeah. are 11 months apart, so we kind of feel like we grew up as twins. And there is no way that that relationship would continue to work, us being so close and then being in the business. So we realized very shortly into it, she had to have her lane and I had to have mine and we needed to stay away from each other's and then respect when somebody made a decision that maybe we didn't agree with. Just because it's not the way you would do it doesn't mean it's the wrong way. So I think for us, that was a big one. And yes, I have to, some people are thinking, I can't believe you would lose a hundred dollars to not get interrupted at, in dinner, at dinner. And for me, it's more about the lifestyle than it is about a hundred dollars, right? Like, can you imagine my children constantly being at dinner and getting text messages and phone calls? And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, mom's not even here. And I just didn't want that. So that was one of the things that we had to set up in place. And from the business that I come from, 
it's an industry where it's open in the evenings. So I had to decide, do I want to continue teaching dance, but miss out on my children's like only time I'm going to see them is in the evening, especially when they start going to school. Do I want to miss out on dinner? Do I want to be working on a Saturday all day? So I had to really very quickly realize that I'm going to have to set up some policies in place for myself if I'm going to be able to enjoy doing this and not be burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. And I really admire that about you. Just this past week, you did a live video where you talked about selling a profitable mm-hmm. piece of your portfolio because of the time aspect. Yeah. So share, you want to share anything or maybe some other examples in your life where you said no to something that the world would look at and say, you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, here's the thing. The only people that are going to say, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? Is somebody who's going, I really am motivated by money right now. And there was definitely a time when I was very motivated by money. But when you get to a certain place and you feel really good about what you're doing, it's not like that much more money is going to make me that much happier. So you have to start to go, is it really worth the headache, the interruption, the whatever it's going to be? So yeah, so it's, it's a little scary when we are selling something that is profitable and we're going to look to do something else because you just don't know what you're trading in. But when we, even if we have to be okay with accepting less money, let's say, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, but let's say it's less money coming in, but a lot less of a headache. We're okay with that. So we're taking the risk knowing what that risk could actually be. And we've come to peace with it, you know? And I think that's what you have to do is understand like what's going to work for your family. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So somebody looking in at your business and these different businesses, they would probably define you as very multi-passionate. How have you navigated those balancing different passions and having different businesses? Yeah. So I love that you're bringing this up because I think sometimes people look at me and they give themselves permission to have the shiny object syndrome to see something and go, I'm going to go for it because Stacy would do that. Right. But at the same time, you're looking at me, you know, 17 years in. So was I doing all this stuff 17 years ago? Even, I'm trying to even think when I really started, I would say I was probably five years into my business where I started to really focus on my team. And the first thing I did that I got into real estate was really my first home. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do another business. I just was thinking, oh, this is financially a wise investment. I'm going to buy a duplex and live in the bottom, right? So I think... It's easy to look at a 17-year journey and think, I'm going to do that right now. But you have to realize I've been making one choice at a time and asking myself, like, is this the right time? Can I sacrifice this? What is that going to look like? And that was pre-kids. My husband and I were like just about to get married. So it was a whole different world. Now as a mom, you know, it's you make different decisions when the kids are involved and you've got a husband and a whole lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So let's take that. Let's pretend that you were starting fresh today, 2019 with two girls, husband, Milwaukee, all the life is the same, but Mm -hmm. business looks way different. You're starting fresh. Would you start with the brick and mortar? Would you do an online thing? What would you do and how would you start it? Hmm. That's a really good question. You know, I don't feel like brick and mortar, people look at brick and mortar and they think, don't do it. Like it's a headache. It's profit margin isn't there. I think any business that you can run can have really high highs and really low lows. And I think you can do it smart wherever you want to. If I wanted to start over, could I start in the backyard and do all of that? I mean, I started pre-social media. Like I didn't even have a cell phone. I got a cell phone the summer I started my business. Okay. (laughs) Like that is the world. Well, that was 17 years ago. And you know, you could still start that way locally. I mean, you could absolutely, if you have a need 
in your marketplace, go for it. Start locally. You will be shocked what you can find. Could you go online? Absolutely. But I don't think that you should look at the online space and say, well, this will be easy. There's no overhead. Yeah, but there's also saturation. There's a million people doing everything that you are trying to do because now you're competing with the world instead of your little five mile radius, right? So I think there are pros and cons to both. If I were starting, I don't think it matters brick and mortar or online. I think it matters of being really smart with my investment and going, how can I make an actual profit margin? Because it takes people a long time to ever actually make money in a business because they're so focused on gross revenue and not really on how much am I actually profiting here? They're just trying to keep, they're starting bad habits and it's really hard to break those bad habits. So I just want to hark on this for a second before I ask you a different question. But you said that we, some people look at the online space, golden goose, the magic bullet, it's going to be simple. And you're so, so right. I had a chat with a client a couple of weeks ago where she decided that she was going to do events. And after she got done with doing it in a local event and like a space, it was just, she had so many people there. And the cool thing about it is, is you think about it, nobody's swiping out. Nobody's getting another notification and leaving. Nobody's showing up to you. And then all of a sudden they're like in the other room and can't hear you. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. the numbers are so fine. And the fact that she can have 30 bodies in a room that are sitting there listening to her and if they check their phone, cool, but the likelihood of them actually doing that, they're very present. Absolutely. So I think we discount how much value there is locally in terms of who you already are connected to, what resources are already in place. Those can often be the low-hanging fruit for so many people. Yeah. And here's the thing. I always say to people, do both. You know, why can't you be doing things locally and online? So I had a client who was building an online business and she wanted market research. And she's like, you know, I feel like I could get more out of this in person. So she did a little posting. She had three people meet her and two of the three became clients by the end of the day. And yeah, she can do it online too. But at the same time, like you said, would three people have stayed in a webinar for an hour while she was pitching? Probably not, right? So I do think you can still have a much smaller following locally, but still be a much higher closing for sure. Could you imagine 67 conversion? (laughs) That'd be awesome. I know. I mean, most people would think I'm only doing this for three people, but she closed two out of, two of the customers. So wouldn't you rather walk away with two clients at the end of the day? I just think we are looking at these gigantic social media numbers and think like two, what's that? You know, people are trying to get 10,000 followers on Instagram. So yeah, it's just, it's different in the brick and mortar and not even brick and mortar, just the local space. I love that you're, you're really bringing this whole local business conversation into the space because I think it's healthy for us as entrepreneurs to remember that behind the, the online live videos, behind the webinar registrants, there are people mm-hmm. that live in a local community and go to businesses and need businesses. So I think it's really, really awesome. Thank you. So, fill me in. Talked about profit and how we mm-hmm. so, much, so often look at that gross revenue. How would you prioritize profit? So... Yeah. So I read the book Profit First a couple years ago and as good as the book was and as much as I took away from it, I didn't really do anything with it. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. I wish I would have known this 17 years ago, but unfortunately, you know, it takes a little bit of time to implement. And then I recently hired a different CPA this year and I had no idea when I hired the CPA, he was actually somebody who was certified in Profit First and does the model. 
And what has been amazing is it's not even about like it has to be profit first or it has to be this. I really think it's just being held accountable, having somebody, not just you go through your credit card and go through your bank account and be like, can you justify this expense? Can you tell me what this brings in and what the return on your investment is? I cannot tell you the amount of money we cut out this year in our expenses, things that you would think have to be giving us a return on our investment, but we couldn't prove it. And then we cut out about $8,500 a month in expenses a few months ago. And that's scary because you're thinking, what is our revenue going to look like next month, right? I mean, I thought these were things bringing a return. And the next month after we cut out 8,500, we grew, like our revenue increased. So see what that does to your profitability. I think sometimes we assume, oh, well, everybody's doing Facebook ads or Google ads or everybody's doing this. So I'm going to have to do it too. But you might be spending your profit, right? And I love the profit first model, which is basically saying like pay yourself and whatever is left is what you can spend on money. And as much as people are like, oh, that'd be nice, but I just can't. I'm telling you, as somebody who has a million dollar company, even as a million dollar business, we had bad habits because it's hard to break something when you don't know any different. And you can still bring in seven figures a year and still be doing things that you're like, I can't believe I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? So I don't want you thinking like, oh, it'll get easier when we start doing this. No, it actually can get more complicated. You can actually be paying a lot more money in taxes that you had no idea some of these laws existed. So that's why I always say like, you have to start, start with the end in mind, right? So start on the right foot. Don't just assume you'll get better later because it doesn't really just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. I read it in a parenting book right before we had our first, this was over five years ago, that said, begin as you mean to go. And I love using that in my business as well, because when I help moms that are just starting in business, begin as you mean to go, set up the system, set up the business model, the way you want it to operate, not a means to an end so that you can just make, you know, make it work for today. So I love that little, that little quote. So would you mind sharing an example of an expense you cut out that you thought was driving traffic or business revenue, but really actually wasn't. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say that I wouldn't insult anybody (laughs) that I was doing business with. I will say this. I would say one of our marketing aspects that we were doing, it was really hard to be able to, and maybe it was, but it was really hard to see like People came from this video. People came from this, you know, this webinar. Like it was, I shouldn't say webinar because you can tell obviously who converts. But when you put out something organic, right? And you don't really have conversion with Facebook ads that you can't actually tangibly see. It's hard to know like, oh, well, it has to be helping. I think we start to tell ourselves stories of, well, people are saying the videos look nice or people are saying this is working, but is it what made them actually purchase? And when you can't see those results, the only way you can really test is by cutting it out temporarily to see if it affects your bottom line. And that's what we did. And we were going, wow, not only did it not affect us, but we even grew. So we know that it wasn't like negatively impacting us by not having it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I mean, I know I've heard you mention in a different podcast about your local business that oftentimes not doing the things that your competitors aren't doing can help you. So like not doing Google ads or something. Give me an example about that. I'm kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. So yeah, well, this is a great example is a lot of people will ask to be like, why can't I use lead pages? Like they'll, I always use click funnels and like, why can't I use lead pages? I'm like, listen, maybe you can, but in my area, all my competitors are using lead pages and all of the pages look identical. So for me, I want to use click funnels so I can make it very different and I stand out. So I'm not saying you can't use lead pages. I'm saying I've noticed in my market 
people are using it and they all look very similar. And if I'm going to run a Facebook ads to the same lead page that everybody else looks like they're using, right? How do you even know who you're like, what, what separates you? And if you're not standing out, it's going to be very hard for you to continue to grow. So for me, I'm paying attention to what's happening, what they're doing, and then how do I not just do what they're doing and do it better, but how do I do something totally different than them? Because why would I do what they're doing and just try to outdo them? I mean, it it just doesn't even make sense, right? And all you're doing is you're you're starting this war of, okay, great now, now she's going to outdo me here and then I'm going to outdo it. And then nobody, you know, just doesn't. The only time I ever want to start a war is in our pricing because I love, I love being at the top. And if they come try to beat me, I want to beat them. And all we're doing is putting the price in the market at a new normal, right? So all of a sudden in, I'm in the dance world, all of a sudden dance classes on average go for $70 a month, right? Because it's like the more I up it, the more she ups it, et cetera. That's the only place I ever want to be in a war with somebody because it's both helping us, right? So other than that, we are never, ever looking at, oh, let's just do this too, because that's what they're doing. So you've got to figure out how can you stand out in your marketplace? $70 a month. Jeez. <laughs> I think it's like 150 here. This is the thing. It's weird how not only will like the price be different, but then like how much are they paying their staff? And what is that? What is the going rate there? What's your minimum wage? And yeah, it's really crazy how markets majorly change the game. Yeah. So, so in our area, $70 a month, but yeah, in places like California, I don't even want to know what they're charging. Right. So you just, and that's where sometimes you just need to know what's going on locally and you have to be okay to be the leader and know that eh, be a little higher, but it's going to help us in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned you work mostly on your business. You're not in the business, in the Mm -hmm. weeds. Have you always been that way or was there a time where you had to be in it? And how did you begin to transition yourself out, whether it was through the team systems or whatever? Yeah. So first three years, it was just me and I did everything. So, I mean, I was the girl who, even though I wasn't charging for tuition, I was charging them for, you know, competitions and I was paying the competition people. So I was still like the bookkeeper and I was doing all of that. Then about three years in, I hired my first two teachers that helped me teach classes. I still was the teacher. So now I'm the teacher. I'm like the desk person. I'm cleaning the bathrooms because now we're renting a place. So I become everything again. And I will say a probably... How long has it been? It's been at least 10 years since I've taught a dance class, maybe even a little bit longer that, yeah, I feel like I probably didn't teach that long, but I pulled myself out of the studio teaching classroom and then I went to the front desk and I feel like what I did there was I made sure that the product, the classes, the teachers were at a level I felt really comfortable with and felt proud of, but then I felt like there's no systems in my front desk. So I went and I worked the front desk and I put the systems in place. I trained people to replace me. and then. I have not worked in my business. This is easy to remember because I went on maternity leave and I never came back. So Tanner is six and a half and six and a half years ago, I was still working the front desk training people. So probably, and then I trained people for probably a year before I actually left them. But yeah, so six and a half years ago, I was working in the building, in, on the, in the business. But you can see like I kind of just kept taking over positions and then having people replace me in all of those positions. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm not good at this area. So I'm just going to delegate and hire. And they think that that hire is going to solve the problem, but it's not going to solve the problem. And you as the owner, you've got to know what's going on. You've got to be the one actually putting in the understanding and the time to, to get your feel on your own business. Yeah. The only way that it's going to solve the problem is if you're paying a really premium dollar because they are truly an expert and they're going to teach you 
it doesn't work that way. I think in a lot of positions we're looking for in our business, because a lot of us, we don't have the funds to go hire somebody who's been a real COO at a company. And now we're having them come in our, to our small business. So a lot of times we are training and we have to know and understand that position. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Tanner came into the picture yeah. six and a half. You got Tegan yep. as well. Mm-hmm. It's a two-girl. How did, were you intentional about changing your business to fit into your new mom life or how did you begin to do that? And what were some challenges that came up for you? Yeah. So, okay. So I knew I was going to be a mom, but I was, I mean, I I started my business right out of high school. So I was 18. So I, I was a entrepreneur for 10 years before I had Tanner. So obviously I knew probably my husband and I got married when I was like 23, 24. So I probably started thinking, okay, we're going to have kids at some point. And I knew it was going to be just a couple more years. So I started to intentionally go, how is this going to work? At the time, my husband was working night shift because he's a police officer and he was working nights. And then as a studio owner, I was working nights. So I'm like, who's watching the children in the evenings? And I mean, this is when you're talking, feeding them dinner, going to bed. <laughs> like we have nobody to, and how, where do you get daycare in the evening? Like it just wasn't even going to work. Right. But I was still having this really, this, a lot of people have mom guilt. I was having guilt of what are people going to say at my work? Like I almost was thinking they're going to think that I've like outgrown them or I've, I'm too good for them now. And it's like, I just wanted to be a mom and raise my children and put them to sleep at night. But I was having such guilt that they were going to judge me for not wanting to work in the evenings, which is crazy. But I want to show people if you're having some weird thoughts or some feelings of guilt or shame, I think that's a really normal part of entrepreneurship because we start to think up what other people are thinking, even though nobody ever said that to me. Like that's the craziest part is nobody ever questioned why I was home with my children. (laughs) Of course they didn't. But in my head, I thought somebody's going to say something, right? And then when I went on maternity leave, I also kind of was thinking, well, people are expecting me to be at home with my child every day. So I'm going to have to work while she's here. And I thought that that was going to work. And it took me a really long time, but she was 18 months before I was like, this isn't working. Like there is no way I can run this business. At the time we were already a million dollar company. So I'm like, how did I think I was, and I had remember already been in the business the whole time up until that point. So I was like, how did I think I was going to run this seven figure business while being a full-time stay-at-home mom by myself, right? because my husband's working crazy shifts and is always gone. So I realized very quickly too, that I'm going to have to let this all go if I want to be successful at both of these. And we slowly started to have daycare and things like that come into play too, because I needed to be able to run my business. I didn't want it to all of a sudden go downhill after 10 years of all the hard work we put into it. Yeah. I did the same thing to myself where I tried to fit myself into the stay at home mom box. And then I was like, forget the box. I don't fit in a box. <laughs> and that was the only time like I actually like didn't have shame or guilt around either parties, the working yeah. party or the, the, the family life. So permission you know, to the mother list, ditch it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, again, that was a story in my head. I kept thinking, what are people going to think that I'm sending my kid to daycare when I'm at home, right? And nobody questioned it. They're like, of course you need daycare. You're running a really successful business. Why would, why would anybody assume you had to be doing them both, right? If anything, it was unrealistic for them to believe I could do both successfully. Yeah, yeah. So I wanna end with this question. And that is when you started the She's Building Her Empire brand, which is now mm-hmm. really the Casey Tushel brand, yeah. right? When you started that, what were some of those early challenges that you found getting your expertise out into the world and showing up online? I think for me, you know, I, I mean, you would have looked at me of like, what was it, four years ago? And most people would have been like, oh, wow, you have a lot of success. And in my head, I really was like, 
but I'm brand new. I, like I'm, I'm, I've never done this before, right? So I wasn't sharing my expertise. I didn't even tell people I had a dance studio because I thought, what does that have to do with, I just, I feel like I'm smarter than what I was acting. <laughs> but in your head, in the moment, you're going, well, I mean, I kind of, that makes sense. I mean, if anything, I was nervous that a dance studio would make me look less credible because it wasn't some like, well, I don't own a dentist practice or, you know, something like that. So I thought, oh, I don't know if I should share that. So I was hiding the things that were making me successful. And I think if I would have come out and just owned who I was, even though it might not have made complete sense to some people, I think most of the people that I'm going after would have made, it would have, it would have justified a lot faster. Like this is the girl I want to learn from. So I think you have to really assess your situation and who you are and your expertise and what you're good at. And unfortunately, we are not very good at doing that ourselves. Like you have to go to your friends and family and just ask them like, what would you come to me for? Like, what, what do you think I'm good at? Because they'll start saying things over and over and you'll hear patterns and you'll go, I didn't even realize like that was one of my strengths, right? So I think that's something I wish I would have done a lot earlier on is really own my success, own who I am and know that it's just part of my story. And I don't need everybody to love it. You know, I just need the right people to love where I've come from and what I'm doing. Yeah. And I would imagine you're realizing that was like a series of events conversations, but what, what do you think was the thing that helped you really realize that you were kind of discounting that expertise? You know, it's funny. I was discounting myself. So then people were discounting me. It was like, I was almost putting that energy out there. And then people acting like I didn't really know what I was doing because I was new. And I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years at that time. I have a multi, you know, multi-million dollar company. Like I I'm doing all these things amazing. And as I would almost defend myself, they're like, I didn't know any of that, you know? And it was like crazy because it was for me. I started it. I cannot blame other people. It was like, I put the energy out. They put it back on me. And then I got defensive. <laughs> and then I realized I need to start sharing this because nobody even know. I mean, I had people in my mastermind, the ones I'm like paying to be in, that were like, I didn't even know you had dance studios. I had no idea you had any other business. So, or that I've been an entrepreneur for this long. So it's like the more I would share, the more people were blown away. And I think that was the biggest thing for me was, is I wasn't owning it. Probably guilt and shame and all of that was playing a part too. Like, who am I to say this? But I think this is the place you have to be sharing who you are. Because if you're not, there are so many people out there pretending to be something they're not that you're going to get like overlooked by so many other people who actually have way less credibility than you do. And I always tell people, you have a responsibility to let them know that you actually are credible and you can actually help them. Otherwise, somebody else is going to do a better job selling them, but they are not going to give them results. Now realizing that and feeling that, I bring a way different energy to the people that I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that really led to you changing the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to yeah. me about that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I went, I, I did a pivot in, when was that? March? It, no, no, no. May. I mean, just May. I was right. I, we knew it was coming in March, but in May is when it actually happened. So I think it was me really feeling like I was trying to be different, but I wasn't really looking different. And how are people confusing me with other products that they thought looked the same. So people coming to me being like, well, I just bought this program. Do I really need yours? And I'm like, why am I being shoved into this like cookie cutter mold of people that haven't even had a business for more than two, three years? You know, people who are like overnight successes. And I just mean really like quick success and who knows if it's going to stay because they haven't been doing this a very long time. And when I realized 
Why am I feeling like everybody else? And feeling like I wasn't blowing up as fast as I wanted to, I realized that I was trying to look like them. And if I could just really own who I was, and that was scary because I knew switching from She's Building Her Empire to foot traffic and kind of going this new route and owning who I am and what I'm doing, it was scary, but it was the best decision I made because now people keep asking me to speak at their event or you know, be on their podcast. And the amount of people that are reaching out saying, nobody's doing what you're doing. Like, I need you to come talk to my people. That is like the best feedback I could possibly hear after this pivot. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited for you because you announced the podcast change. And I, I was exactly like that thinking foot traffic. I don't understand because I had my whole online business lens on. And then I listened yeah. and I was Oh, local business. It's brilliant. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is with, with this local business, I'm still, I still get a lot of people that are online or I get people that are looking online, but they have a local business as well. And business is business. So what's this, I, I'm going to share a quick story. I actually was coming up with a second podcast. I was keeping She's Building Her Empire and I was going to do a second podcast called Foot Traffic and I was going to have eight episodes and it was going to be a series. And I figured out all eight titles and the topics I was going to speak on. And then I realized there's no reason that those eight podcasts couldn't be on She's Building Her Empire. And I'm like, why am I doing more work for myself? It's the same thing. So for me, I'd rather go after the local market knowing that online business owners are still going to get so much value out of the podcast than try to be pleasing everybody. Like you just, you can't do it. And when you're an expert to everybody, you're an expert to nobody. So I feel like as scary as it was, I've never had the feedback. I, I finally got the feedback I had been waiting for for four years. You know what I mean? So it was a journey. I had to get here through all of that. And it wasn't even this messy journey of, oh, it was unsuccessful. No, we actually did really well as she's building her empire, but it was really just a stepping stone. And now we're on to really exciting things. Yeah, I love it. Well, share everybody as we're wrapping up where we can connect with you, see more of what you've got going on. Yes. So my podcast is called Foot Traffic. And then I would say Instagram is probably my favorite place to hang out. It's at Stacey Tushel. And you can go to my website, which is StaceyTushel.com as well. Love it. So you gals that are listening, definitely screenshot your show and tag Stacy and myself. We love to connect with you guys and to just share out what you share as well. I'll give you a little shout out. But Stacy, one of the favorite questions that I love asking, because I always love knowing what is on the nightstand of successful <laughs> entrepreneurs. What are you reading right now? And then what is the best book you've ever read? So I am currently reading Traction. We are in the process of growing our team. And Traction is a really good book just to, like, I even like to reread it. I like to reread a couple few books that I know I need to just kind of hear again because you're in a different place. So Traction is a phenomenal book if you're looking to grow your team. And honestly, even if you're just getting started, there are some things in there you need to be aware of so that you can continue to really have that mindset. One of my, one of my favorite books, is that what you said? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't even know. I mean, Profit First, I'm going to throw out there. I also really love The Compound Effect. I think it is one of like it's Darren Hardy's book and it is such a good book for making like little changes or even big changes. It's something if you want to put a better habit into place, it is a really, really good book and shows you how like something even really small in your day could end up being something very huge with the compound effect. Love it. I've read yeah. Traction. Have you read Rocket Fuel? Yes. That's actually where I started. And then I went- want to start with? I don't know. I don't know. No, I think Rocket Fuel would be the first one that you could read. It doesn't matter. They're both really good. You don't have to read one for the other, but it is the same author. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good ones for mm -hmm. sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. 
Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you loved this episode, which I know you did, make sure you subscribe and rate and review our show. This helps us to get the message of ambitious motherhood out to more moms just like you. 